Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more, each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, and today we're joined by Tony James. Tony, welcome. Hi, how are you doing? I'm really well. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. It's a beautiful day in New Zealand. I can't complain. I'm sure it is a beautiful day, especially if you're not in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, still, we're still at level two, so we have restrictions, but I'm, I'm quite happy with them. Yeah, but better than level four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So Tony, you are a former snowboarder, pen tester, software engineer, and now you are security advisor at SafeStack. So that's uh, an interesting journey. I'd love to learn more about that. So I guess first question, as always for guests, is who are you? Yeah, I am Tony James. I am a security advisor for SafeStack. I also organize a security conference, Crash Church Hacker Con, which I will hopefully talk about a little bit later. I'm a mom. I live on the South Island in New Zealand, near the mountains, still close to snowboarding. And my husband's still in the industry, so good connection. But nice. yeah, I'm happy to be here. Excellent. And obviously, we could, we could definitely keen to talk about your journey. So if you don't mind, in terms of your current role as security advisor, that can mean lots of different things. So what, what does that mean from your perspective? Yeah, it's pretty much everything but the pen test. It's a variety of things. You know, we, we work with small businesses to improve their security posture and make sure that they have processes in place to allow them, you know, to, to tackle security incidents. We also have a an academy that we use to train developers and IT staff on security awareness and kind of the, you know, monthly phishing campaigns and things like that. And something that I'm really passionate about is really providing tools to developers to make them more secure in, you know, in their career, but also really get a passion for security. That makes a lot of sense, especially given your history in software engineering. Yeah, exactly. I definitely see it from the developer's perspective. Um, I know when I was a software engineer, I really wanted something like this, but it wasn't available. Yeah, I definitely sympathize with that. So going back, and obviously mentioned software engineer, prior to that, you were in a completely different industry. So you've literally gone from snowboarder to security advisor. No offense, but <laughs> that's quite a shift. How, how does that come around and what, I guess, took you down this path? I actually started in computers quite young. Young. I, my dad brought home a Commodore 64 when I was like eight and my brother didn't want anything to do with it. So I was pretty lucky and got to take it over. And so I always had a computer in my life, always had gaming systems, really loved gaming and, but also was just pretty well-rounded. I mean, I grew up with horses, constantly outside working and computers to me were just something that was just challenging to my brain, which I didn't find a lot of things that challenging growing up in Maine intellectually, but computers and computer science and programming and all that stuff was really fun. And I thought I could do it in university, but when I went to go to university in the States, you have to pay for it. Couldn't afford it without a job. So started working full-time at my local ski resort 
And the more I worked, the more things I picked up, like snowboarding and restaurant management and started getting into pretty well-paid jobs at the at the time and just thought, well, I'd actually just rather go snowboarding. So <laughs> decided to drop the computer science degree and, and just pursue a career in the ski industry. And it went pretty well. I did a few years in Maine and then moved out to Colorado and spent about 10 years in Colorado and eventually started doing some summers in in Oregon and doing the year-round winter snowboarding thing wow. and made it to New Zealand on a holiday for decided to book a month in New Zealand back when flights were cheap <laughs> and uh, and ended up spending four weeks down in Queenstown and the South Island of New Zealand and Very met my nice. in the lift line so decided to stay <laughs> Cool. So, wow, you, you went a long time without seeing much summer then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had my moment. We used to go to Vegas a lot okay. and, <laughs> and lay out on the like pools, pools on the top of the Hard Rock, Hard Rock Hotel and then trips to San Diego for a bit of surfing and stuff. So we had kind of moments in between seasons just to get a little bit of a tan. That's our face, but it was a pretty fun life for sure. Yeah. Sounds like a, like a really good lifestyle. I think lifestyle is something that I've always pursued and coming to New Zealand, I tried to continue to work in the ski and snowboard industry and I did. I had a pretty successful career, but in New Zealand, the season's only four or five months long. Even if you have a good job, it's six months long. So you kind of have to find something else to do in the down season. And for me, I ended up working for a skydiving school, which was pretty rad right uh, right in the, the town that I was living in and that ended up becoming a year-round job so I did that for a few years and and I enjoyed it ended up deciding to start a family and had my daughter and took some time off to to just to just raise her and spend some time with her but and while I was like at home kind of for those first like real like eight months I really felt like it was really hard as, you know, first time mom, I didn't have a lot of family around me and you feel pretty isolated and, yeah. you know, your you brain, don't have a lot of support. you don't have a lot of support. Your brain just turns to jelly. You feel like you're forgetting everything. You, you know, you don't feel smart anymore, <laughs> but, but I, so I started doing some online courses, just doing like web dev Academy and code Academy and things like that. And, and kind of, getting back into what I did kind of straight out of high school, which was getting into Python and programming and stuff like that. And just did it for fun. I remember I even Khan Academy, I did math courses cause it was fun <laughs> and, and a challenge and puzzles and something to do. So I, I was doing that for a bit and then ended up getting an opportunity to go back into the ski industry. And I remember the time my daughter was about two and a half and had a bit of support from my husband's family. They would come out and, you know, watch her so I could go to work and things like that. So that was really helpful. But I was managing like 100 to 120 staff and also still being full-time mom at home, still, you know, doing all of the kind of the normal things that I'd already done. And I was only making about 15 bucks an hour and it was devastating. And I just... I, I couldn't like, I couldn't see myself continuing this life because as much as I loved snowboarding, it just, it wasn't sustainable, you know, and I wanted to provide more for my family. 
So I started looking around to see what, what are the options? You know, I live in the South Island of New Zealand. What are some options for me? And at the time I remember Canterbury, like the region that I live in, in New Zealand was really pushing its tech scene. So I thought I can get into IT. I can do some networking courses. I can do something. And I say networking just because that was like a one year option, you know, to do a bit of a training course and then get into networking, but it was not my passion whatsoever. I really wanted to get into development. So I looked at some like web development courses and things like that, but it still wasn't enough for me. I wanted to, I wanted to know how things worked. I really wanted to have that foundation of a degree and have, have those opportunities that you got with a degree. So I decided to go back to university. Thankfully here in New Zealand, you can get interest-free student loans for university degrees and as a permanent resident. So I was like, yep, that's me. Sign me up. (laughs) Must've been a big deal going back to uni. Yeah, it was huge. I remember going to campus with my daughter on my hip and just looking around at all the 19-year-olds and thinking, oh, this is, this is tough. But all along the way, I've always had someone supporting me. And at the time, you know, my husband's always been very supportive in anything I do. And he feels that I sacrificed my career in the States to live in New Zealand, which is, which is not true. New Zealand's a great place to be right now. <laughs> especially <laughs> but, right now. Especially right now. But it, it's just a different life. And so, yeah, so he's always been supportive. But I had another friend who was similar to me. She was from New York. You know, she was older and she was going back to university to get her psychology degree. Okay. And so she was there supporting me. She's like, introduced me to a bunch of people. And, and I really like what, when I went to, you know, you go into, to talk to like the counselors or whatever, the career people that tell you, you know, what you, you know, what you might be good at. And I remember I spotted this software engineering degree and I was like, wow, that is what I want to do. I want to do software engineering. And I remember the counselor saying, oh, you don't want to do that. It's really strict course. You have to do physics. You have to do, it's an engineering degree. It's really structured. And and, and to be honest, as, as a mom, lived an hour away, had to commute to the university, I, I really couldn't have a super structured course because it would have been too much for me. Whereas the computer science degree had, was much more flexible and you could join that with other things you were interested in. So at the time, I had a friend that was doing GIS, so Geographical Information Systems. And, you know, he was like, this is a great career. You should get into this. And I was like, well, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> So I did. I took geography and computer science courses and, and just loved it. I absolutely loved both courses. I did, I did well in both. But at the end of my, or my second semester, I remember I just bombed one of my classes, just a midterm, you know, just, just bombed it. It was just absolutely horrible. And, you know, you kind of have those moments where you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I doing this to my family? And you have this immense pressure on you to not fail because, you know, you're, you have an end goal, get this degree, get this job, get a better life. And I would, this was like step one and I was failing. <laughs> so it was really devastating. And I ended up talking to the lecturer being like, I'm better than this. Like, I don't know what happened. I just, I, I, I don't, rem- I don't even remember half the questions. I, I you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. And so he recommended I go see a counselor at the health center. And it turned out that I was diagnosed with uh, high-level anxiety. Okay. 
<laughs> and I, it's one of those things where I was like, doesn't everyone have anxiety? Like, normal, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's something that I always had, but obviously this high pressure situation of, you know, being a mom, performing at university and had, had just basically brought it to its apex and was sub- sub- subscribed some medication to help just some beta blockers to help with those situations. And, you know, I still, I still use that today. Like I, I give talks and I, 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 you know, have some interviews and things like that. And I'll take beta blockers because I know that that's at least going to let me manage my anxiety so that I can get through it and articulate what I want to say, which at the time was really difficult. Definitely a turning point for me, but also what university did for me is that I I had a different perspective. I went into a room, like my first class, 450 students, and I think I saw three, four women in the room. And then just surrounded by like 19-year-olds, you know, to me, 19-year-old boys. And it was very intimidating. (laughs) And there was a few people that came into the room and were like, hey, you know, we have this club, it's computer chicks, it's a bunch of girls that, you know, get together and talk about it. And I'm like, oh, I might go check that out. <laughs> See if I can find a few more women around here. And yeah, so I started joining clubs. I joined, you know, computer society, the engineering society, and I basically joined every club there was, and then just slowly dropped the clubs that didn't work for me. And what this did is kind of helped, it helped me grow a support system while I was at university. I met other women, other adult students, developed a better relationship with the faculty, ended up running some programs, becoming presidents of some committees. And the other thing I did was I applied for everything. I applied for every scholarship I I had access to under the sun. And two of the scholarships I applied for, one of them was a scholarship that provided an internship working as a uh, software engineer intern at a local company. And the other one was the Google Anita Borg scholarship, which I only applied for because I went to visit, I went to the Google came to campus and I went to kind of, you know, see the presentation and see what it was all about and see what opportunities there were. And just got chatting to a couple of the employees from Google and they're like, have you applied for this? And I'm like, no, what is it? And they're like, you're, you're exactly the kind of person we're looking for. (laughs) (laughs) We, we, you know, you need to apply for this. And it's kind of a common theme is, is a lot of the opportunities I've had throughout my career, you know, to date has, has been because someone said, Hey, you would be fantastic for this. You should do this. Have you thought about doing this? And, and me saying, yes, I'll do it. Okay, sure. <laughs> so definitely that was really good up until the point where I was saying yes to way too many things and definitely reached a level of burnout where I slowly had to pull back and kind of manage what I was actually involved in. Because that must have been really hard, especially juggling family life as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I am a planner. I plan six months in advance. <laughs> so I've got the family calendar. The hardest part is my husband never looks at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but we, we managed. He's still he's an operations manager at a at a local resort. So he's got a busy life as well. And, you know, between my daughter and my dogs and you know, still living an outdoor lifestyle. It is a juggle and it's a struggle. And, you know, during university, I became anemic. I, I went through lots of health issues. My hair would fall out. Like wow. it was 
horrible in ways, but I also had plenty of support, had lots of people around me who just, it's, it's hard sometimes because I know, I know Wendy talked about this in her interview, but it was like, you know, when you, when you go into the tech industry in your mid thirties and, you know, there's a level of imposter syndrome that's just, it's just, you, you cannot fathom it until you've done that point where you've gone from being in like, for me, a snowboarding career and trying to get into IT and just feeling like you don't fit and you don't belong. And the groups I was involved in helped kind of mitigate that, but you're just constantly riding this roller coaster of imposter syndrome and trying to trying to fight it down and you know find ways to to say I belong, I, I deserve to be here. And like one of those things that helped me was through the scholarship for Anita Borg. I didn't get it my first year, but I did become a finalist. And part of being a finalist gave me a trip to the Google office in Sydney. Very nice. And yeah, that was, that was pretty epic. And so I met a lot of people there and one of them at the time, a woman who worked there, Cecilia Herbert, she did a couple of workshops with us and she was just like, who here thinks they're lucky to be here? And every single person in the room raised their hand. There was like 25 of us. And she's just like, bullshit. And she's like, every single one of you applied to be here. Every single one of you deserved to be here. You all took the action and you made it. So a lot of the things that she said kind of made me accept my accomplishments, which is really hard to do. In New Zealand, we have this issue with tall poppy syndrome. We don't like to call, you know, say, call out our accomplishments and brag about each other. But then that fights with my kind of American, you know, say it. (laughs) (laughs) Which sometimes I can turn it on, um, make me mad, and I will. But yeah, and then she took us through another workshop where she basically said, took a piece of paper. She said, you have two minutes at the top, write down, I am remarkable because, and fill it in. And I I, remember- I like that. it, It was amazing. I just- I bawled my eyes out, like writing down these things because I, you know, at the time I was a mother, I was pursuing a technical degree. I was really kind of, I was in a country that was not my home country. So, you know, despite the, you know, amazing similarities and welcomeness of New Zealand, you're still an immigrant, you're still an outsider. So I had lots of things challenging me, but being able to own my accomplishments completely changed my perspective on on like who I was and where I belonged and that I deserved to be here. So I, like those are the the moments throughout, you know, kind of moments throughout history that you'll never forget <laughs> and people you'll never forget that, that helped you along the way. But yeah, so uh, eventually I did get the scholarship that took me to India and I got to go to Hyderabad and and again Every scholarship that I've applied for and the ones that I've, you know, achieved, it's been because someone said, hey, you should do this. And then, you know, keep poking me saying, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) Because as a mom, as, you know, someone who has other things in her life, things just get dropped and, you know, you do have to prioritize. But every once in a while, you do need to put yourself first. Yeah. And this was me putting myself first. Yeah, it all worked out. So, so what happened from there? Well, thankfully, the one of the internships, the internship that I got while I was at university, 
was with the, as a software engineer with a, with a health, health IT company. And I was working in a team that was doing web applications for patients and, you know, very, very much concentrated on security and accessibility and things like that. So I was surrounded by developers who were very security conscious and kind of teaching me things and, you know, introducing me to new stuff. So that was really enjoyable. And also through my time with Google, I met a lot of other women throughout New Zealand and Australia, just awesome, awesome people who I kept in touch with. And one of them ended up moving down to Christchurch to do a systems engineer position at a company not far from me. And we would basically just, would get together about once a week for lunch and just, just bitch about what it was like <laughs> as, as a junior software engineer in companies that, you know, were, were just kind of really pushing for results and not really supporting a lot of community things. And we we're both really passionate about community things. And so we both decided, you know, all right, well, you know, let's do something. So she ended up introducing me to saying, look, this year we need to go to KiwiCon. So KiwiCon's a security conference in Wellington, New Zealand, and it went for about 10 years and I made it on year 10. <laughs> so, so I got to go because I'd won this scholarship for Google, like everything's interconnected. It's hard to tell the story without something else, but because I'd won this scholarship for Google, I'd won some money. So I felt that I could use some of that money to attend a security conference in Wellington <laughs> So that was my master plan was to go to this conference. So before I did that, I was like, I need to know something about security because I know nothing about uh, security at this point. So I started looking up some local, like see if there's any local meetups. And it turned out like just the day that I was looking, there was a meetup that night for something called ISIG, which was an information security interest group not too far away. So I called up my friend. I was like, hey, let's, let's do this. And she's like, yep, sweet, let's go. So we went and just showed up at this meetup and walked into this room where there's about 20 guys all wearing black or black hoodies who just like swivel headed <laughs> all at the same time to stare at us as we walk in in our like dresses and, you know, like, we're like, oh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> this is a weird situation. But we sat down and we listened to this presentation that was about something that was, you know, way over our head, some nation state actor, you know, activity, whatever at the time. And at the end, we're like, all right, let's get out of here. But as soon as we're about to leave, we just got surrounded by like four or five people who are just like, hey, welcome. You know, who are you? What are you doing here? You know, do you like security? Like, talk to us, <laughs> please. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that they were actually starting their first conference, oh, which wow. was the Christchurch Hacker Conference. Ah, okay. And they were like, hey, you know, you know, who are you? What are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just finishing university. I'm interning as a software engineer. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. They're like, oh, you know, do you want to go to this conference? And I'm like, well, are there student prices? <laughs> they're like, well, there are now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, well, how about training? Like, I don't know anything about security. Is there any training for like, you know, for, for beginners? And they're like, well, there is now. <laughs> like, it, you know, if you can get us some students, we'll create a course. And I was like, sweet. So I did it. I got to get together like 25 students and Kevin, 
Alcock and Dan Wallace ran an InfoSec 101 course and it introduced me to Cali, introduced me to Metasploit, introduced me to quite a few things that I just hadn't really had the guts to get into before. And then through that whole process, you know, going to more meetups and, and you know, getting to know them, they became like our supporters and our, our cheerleaders and our crew. And so when I did go to KiwiCon, I went with a crew. I went with people I knew, you know, and it was very important to just kind of feel safe. It's kind of, you know, you know, my threat model is not your threat model. <laughs> I, uh, I, it, was, it, was a, it was a tough situation. But as soon as I walked into to KiwiCon, I was like, oh, my God, these are my people. Like the style, the fashion, the mentality, the attitude, it just ticked all the boxes for me. And I was just like, this is what I want. Like security, this is, this is InfoSec. This is awesome. You found your home. Found, found my home. Found my yeah. people. <laughs> I, I feel exactly the same. While I was there, because I was connected with kind of the Christchurch crew, I got invited to a few other things and got to meet some more people. I guess the, the thing to remember there is like, they're like, it was KiwiCon 10. And like, I remember uh, Metal at the very end was like, we're not having another KiwiCon. And I remember just being like, no, <laughs> I just made it. <laughs> like, you can't stop. And so it was, it was a bit, it was a bit sad, but I was just like, okay, you know, now what? Basically, kind of you know after a conference you have your whole you have your whole kind of depressing letdown you know after yeah. and you know going back and talking with my teammates and stuff and so I decided to actually start you know asking more about our security team and you know finding out what does the security team do like like how do I get in on this but we were a satellite office security was in the head office and most of our security was in the states so I didn't really have access to the security team. So I ended up just kind of messaging them and be like, Hey, you know, what do you do? Uh, can I <laughs> help? You know, what can I do? <laughs> yeah. And got into things with them, you started organizing some stuff with all of my interest in security at the time that the best thing I found or what really kind of got me addicted to security was doing CTFs. So I, Started doing CTFs, started competing with um, friends, just just friendly competition. And as I was going through this kind of process, I was like, oh, let's, you know, bring this into, let's have lunchtime sessions. So, you know, so all the software engineers would get together and do some CTFs and learn about security. And, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of things I was, a lot of things I was pushing for. But th- this whole year, this whole process after that, Kevin from, from Christchurch HackerCon was like, all right, you're, when are you going to give your first talk? <laughs> I was just like, I'm not talking. No pressure. <laughs> what are you talking about? No pressure. I'm like, what? And so I, you know, I was like, oh, well, I kind of got this idea about, you know, CTF. And if it's just a 15 minute lightning talk, you know, I think I can do it, you know, and he just supported me and pushed me. And, you know, I ended up like getting in and getting this talk at the, at the second crash or track gone. And so 15 minute talk, no pressure. I had the CTF talk. I had a few live demos of actually doing CTFs and backing it up as well. With, Hang on. Um, did you did with, you just say that was your first talk and you're doing live demos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what's the fun of doing a CTF if you're not actually participating? Yeah, true. Participating in it. So <laughs> very, very brave though. That's so awesome. yeah, I mean it was 
Yeah, it was, it was pretty well, like I had it pretty well scripted. I had it set to time. You know, you first talk, I think you put so much into it because you just, you're failing. I did have some backup videos in case things didn't work. But what ended up happening is the two speakers before me both ended up finishing 15 minutes early each. And so as I was walking up, Dan was like, so you've got a 15 minute talk, right? And I'm like, yep, sweet. I got this. I can do this. He's like, yeah, can you make it 45 minutes? And I was like, um, but yeah, because I had all, because I was so prepared and I had all these live demos, I ended up getting the audience participation in and we ended up going through a bunch of CTF stuff and it was a blast and you get kind of that super high of, you know, adrenaline rush. I gave this talk fantastic and just got a lot of recognition from that, including a security company that was like, we need to hire that person. So that was kind of the very beginning of me just taking, you know, taking some initiative, following through and you know, getting some results. So Fantastic. that was pretty awesome. And at the end of that, at the end of that conference, they're like, you know, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're a bunch of guys running a con, you know, we, we want to have more women. We want to be more cl- inclusive, you know, would you like to join us? And so I ended up joining the committee or joining the organizing crew. And now I help run Christchurch Hacker Con. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send on average two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Wow. And did your job help come off the back of that as well? Yeah, well, a lot of our sponsors are the local security consultancies in New Zealand. And, you know, one of them was just like, as soon as they they saw my talk, they're like, it it just, you know, kind of put me in the back of their mind as someone who would be interested in security. It didn't happen straight away. It's definitely took a bit of time after that, partially because a lot of the security companies in New Zealand are quite small. And also because I was in a place in New Zealand where there's only one security company (laughs) that has (laughs) an office. (laughs) which had, you know, a very small office and, you know, wasn't really hiring people. So, but when a time did come up, my entry into security was a a DM on Twitter saying, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) you look like you're interested in security. Have you ever thought about working in security? And I was just like, keep going. (laughs) What do you want to (laughs) do? So yeah, I ended up uh, having an interview with that person with the security company, and, and it was a that as well was a long process. It was a lot of catching up. They they went to the meetups that I went to and made sure to talk to me and and develop a rapport with me so that I was comfortable, you know, talking to them, but also comfortable talking about security things. You know, asking me leading questions. You know, what what do you think about the OSI model? <laughs> you know, like just all these kind of more security specific things. And, you know, basically I spent my time as a software engineer, spent all my lunchtime studying security (laughs) so that I could get a job in security and ended up last year getting a job as a security consultant, mostly doing pen tests with web applications and external networks and diving into a lot of the deeper stuff and just absolutely loving it. 
So it, it was definitely a dream job. Like I was, you know, kind of from snowboarder to hacker. That was fantastic run for me. <laughs> That's amazing. And now you're not even doing pen testing. Yeah. So I got another DM. <laughs> so I highly, highly recommend joining Twitter for security. <laughs> just, you know, block all the negativity. Don't follow those people, but definitely, you know, embrace the positivity that is in security and, and follow the right people and, you know, talk about your journey and talk about what you do and, and, you know, ask questions, definitely ask questions. You know, there's, there's someone that's going to answer you. If people aren't answering you, you're in the wrong room, you know, but yeah, I, you know, I, I basically built my, built my presence, I guess, built my brand. I was now running security conferences. I was speaking at security conferences. I got the opportunity to speak at B-Sides Wellington and OWASP NZ in Auckland and then over on AppSec Day in Melbourne and then ended up getting some, was able to speak at WaxCon and a lot of uh, US international conferences thanks to the pandemic because everything went virtual so mm. you can speak from anywhere i ended up getting another message saying hey you know you ready to work for us yet <laughs> 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 and you know i i it was a really tough decision for me because i loved what i was doing i loved the people i was working with but then also this was an amazing opportunity to work for a female founded company in security that's completely remote that puts you know that really cares about putting people first and listening to people you know kind of let me know what your pain points are and how can i fix it as opposed to here's a pen test report good luck you know so it was it, it was everything that i wanted to eventually do all the training and the the workshops and and teaching you know having been a snowboard instructor i was really you know, have a passion for teaching people my passion, which, you know, like I remember, I think it was Casey Ellis that said, you know, when people talk about security, you know, when you, you really see them light up because they're really passionate about it, you know, that's, that's the key. And sometimes I have to like calm myself down when I'm talking about security because I'm just, I'm too amped. <laughs> I, need to, I need to come across a little bit more calm and collected. <laughs> but yeah, so but this 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 company was someone that I it was a company that I always thought I would love to work for. It's a small company, and you know I'm on the you know I'm geographically challenged. I'm on the South Island of New Zealand, so I don't have a lot of at the time before the pandemic. I didn't have a lot of opportunities, and and yes, this came about, and we're like, yep, we we have confidence in you. We think that you are an absolute perfect fit for this. And the, like the best thing I did was, was basically go out to a couple of my mentors and be like, Hey, this, this opportunity has come up. What do you think? The, the best advice I got was <laughs> someone who said to me, he's like, well, do you want to be a hacker, you know, or do you want to, you know, help people? And I was like, both, <laughs> like, I want to do both. But in the end, it was just a, an opportunity that I couldn't, I couldn't pass up. And, you know, everyone that I worked with at the time was just like, oh, wow, congratulations. Oh, we're so sad to see you go, but congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, going to another well-respected company and working with some amazing people, like, I feel like this is really rounding out my security uh, foundation. So, you know, I still, you know, I'm, I'm like, 
I'm scared to do it, but I'm still looking at bug bounties as a way to kind of keep the, keep that kind of pen testing hacking, you know, side of me alive. But then also I'm learning how to be a virtual security officer and, you know, how to train a room full of developers to code securely and, you know, kind of really being able to pass on my passion that I had as a developer in security and be able to mold and create all these new security champions. Like that's my ultimate goal. That's great. And uh, obviously, it's probably, I guess not by design, but I'm guessing your backgrounds from hospitality, from just dealing with people on the snowboarding side and, and then as a software engineer, that's actually pretty, pretty helpful for what you're doing now and, and being that sort of person dealing with developers and looking at things from their perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the things that I talk about, it was so funny because I was uh, for so long, for so long, I was, you know, in software engineering, in dev and trying to get into security. So I was in, like, I was engulfed in all of these security communities. And now that I'm in security, I'm going, I'm trying to get back into the dev community and be like, (laughs) (laughs) but, but I do have that foundation. I can, you know, I can talk the talk and I can, I can empathize. And I think that's the biggest thing is I can empathize with developers. I've worked for, you know, I've worked for enterprise organizations that, you know, you, you don't even, you know, talk to the product owner who's five levels above you, you know, and the type of stuff that you are passionate about, you know, a lot of times security ends up being the last thing they think about. And so being able to really talk to developers, empathize with them, be like, I know it's hard. I know you're, you know, like I, I give a talk called keeping up with the Joneses where you're just as a, as a, as a developer, you're constantly given all these new frameworks and languages and, you know, things to try. Everything's transitioning to the cloud. It's constantly moving and you can't just rely on knowing one thing. You have to keep adding it on and adding it on. And now you want me to think about security? Like (laughs) you have to make it something that they really want to be passionate about so that it is something that they think about at the beginning and get them to ask questions, you know, you really get them to change their mindset and give them a bit of that hacker mindset, you know, to really challenge, you know, challenge the outcome and challenge the way things are done. So it's something that I absolutely adore. I love, I love getting people to, to really embrace the, the security side of things, the accessibility, you know, the, the, what if I do it this way kind of attitude. Out of interest, how much is that is focused on the human side as opposed to technical, as opposed to meaning you're, I guess, thinking about things from their perspective and, and trying to communicate with them in a way they understand or kind of, I guess, relate to? Yeah, it. I mean, it is it is the human side, right? Like one thing that I always, I mean, one of the reasons I did so well in, in scholarships and, you know, get interviews and things like that was because I could communicate with people. I, you know, a lot of the stuff that I did in my software engineering team was I, I was the gel between the team members. I was the one that would, you know, listen to one person who was super technically minded, but just could not articulate what they wanted to say to someone else and kind of bring them together and find a common language and, and help translate that. So I, I, that's, I love, I love connecting people, you know, getting people to understand each other. Like a lot of times it's just, you know, you just misunderstanding or someone's really passionate about something and getting them to understand. Yes, I understand you're really passionate about that and about that technique, but have you looked at it? 
from this perspective. (laughs) It is all about the people. I think that's my, my, you know, where my talent lies is, you know, that customer service, taking care of the customer is, you know, is the same as taking care of other people, you know, being kind and considerate and compassionate and, you know, allowing people to make mistakes, allowing people to, to, to have, you know, heated, you know, kind of not heated arguments, but, you know, just, just, just need to be able to vent, you know, sweet vent at me. What do you need to say? (laughs) Yeah. And which is funny because I was often pushed towards leadership roles and pushed towards management roles, but I didn't want that. I want, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a family. I don't, I don't want to run my own business. I don't want to be the manager and be responsible for this many other people. I want to enjoy time with my family and love my job. So I love helping managers and I love providing support for my teammates, but I, I don't, I don't need to be the manager or the leader to do that. I like where I'm at. <laughs> That's great. And I guess for those that are trying to break into the industry that are maybe trying to move into different types of roles. And again, you've already transitioned from, I guess, one area to another insecurity. What would be maybe your advice? Cause you've, you've done a lot of things along the way. Are there, are there any particular things that stand out to you that you recommend people to do or things that you've learned along the way that would be helpful to others as well? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, I think number, number one, like people always say, find your passion and follow your passion, but it's really hard to narrow down your passion, especially in an industry so broad as tech or security or whatever, or, you know, defining what you're good at, you know, how do you do that unless you do all the things? So for me, like the biggest thing was just following my interests. So, you know, like I said about in university, how I joined all these groups and then just kind of dropped the ones that didn't quite click. I, you know, tried all the things and then focused on the things that worked well and the things I enjoyed. So the other thing with university I noticed is there's a huge sense of apathy where students just just go to class and then just go home or, or you know don't actually engage and every single job that I've gotten has been through engagement through networking through people knowing me through someone else um and, and unless you actually you know get yourself known to people it's going to be really it's a lot harder to find those entities the other thing is to go for every opportunity say yes to everything even if you don't think you can do it like what what's the worst that can happen you know like you say yes and you know it it doesn't work out say yes to the next thing because something will work out and I'm a firm believer in you you end up where you should be and a lot of the journey that you take takes you there but it's not a straight line so, you know, if, if you really have a passion and you really know you want to work for this company, get any job in that company, you know, like get to know the people. It doesn't, doesn't have to be the red team or the, you know, specific job, you know, get in there and then transition to, to other opportunities. So, I mean, I have, I have tons of things that I could say, but I know other people have covered those things. So it's definitely the networking you have to go there and meet people. If you're not really good at that kind of, you know, social interaction, just find one person and buddy up with them, you know, find your kind of partner in crime, but don't do crimes, you know, like just find that person that's going to support you and keep you going. And, and that'll change each, each, you know, every, every day, every month, 
every year that'll change uh, as they move on or you move on, but keep, you know, find someone that will help you along the way. That makes a lot of sense. That's really good advice. And I, and I'm guessing, or actually I'll ask you, you may agree or not, but maybe patience, you know, step-by-step approach. Cause sometimes I feel like people want to achieve, you know, this, this dream job, but sometimes you need to be realistic and sort of have stepping stones towards it. Yeah. You know, like, like I said before, when we were talking, I never thought I was going to be in security. That was not my end goal. I, I, you know, my end goal was to find a job that I could work remotely, support my family and enjoy my life. You know, that was, that was my end goal. You know, people come to us and say, you know, you know, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I still don't know. I, I still don't know what I want to be, but at the moment, at the moment, this works. I really love what I do. And I've gotten there because I've said yes to those opportunities along the way and, and, and done well. But yes, I, I definitely think that for me, I was, had a very pragmatic approach. I was like, where are the most jobs? Like going into IT, where are the most jobs that have the best, you know, median salary? That was my pragmatic approach. And for me and company, you know, you'll have 300 developers and one person in the security team. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to be a developer because that's where the most jobs are. Even, even looking at tech, you know, with business analysts and team leads and things like that, those were very narrow jobs with not a lot of opportunities. So I went with opportunities for me, which was software engineering. And, and I remember at one point at the at Kauaicon, I was sitting on the couch talking, talking with someone and I said, yep, you know, I'd love to work in security, but there's just not any jobs for me. You know, I'm, 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 you know, where I'm located, you know, no one, no one's going to hire me. And I remember he looked at me and he's like, how many jobs have you applied for? And I was like, none. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, well, there you go. (laughs) So, so even though, you know, you definitely, I, you know, pragmatic approach, I ended up where, where I want to be, where I should be. And I, I still, you know, I still pinch myself that I have this opportunity and it's extremely wonderful life to be in. But, you know, you have to be realistic. And, you know, if, if you, you know, if your opportunity at the, you know, because of geographical location or because of your background or, you know, because of your education is to start at the help desk, start at the help desk. You know, you're going to know a whole lot more than other people that, you know, eventually go for the position that you want because you took the time to, you know, start at the beginning. That makes a lot of sense. Tony, thank you so much for your time and, and thank you for sharing your journey. Yeah, thanks. It's not a short one. <laughs> no, but it's, it's an awesome one. You're the first snowboarder to hacker that I've covered. So that's, that's a great one. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Ricky. It's been wonderful. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.